Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing today? Good, good, good. Great to be with you guys all today. Hopefully, if you had kids who were on fall break, you are uh, ready for Monday. And uh, hopefully, you've had some maybe some time to relax and recuperate. If you've just been working all week long like the rest of us, um, good for you. Uh, you earned it. Uh, it's Sunday. Let's, let's still uh, lean in and see what God's got for us. You're right. I was on vacation, but I was working. <laughs> Vacations in the Shoemaker household are not sit on the beach with a, a, a cold glass of sweet tea. They are... Um, hiking miles and miles and miles into the back country and trying to avoid grizzly bears. Uh, and that's what we did this past week. But none of that matters. You're at church now, all right? <laughs> so dive into the word. If you got a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four is where we're at. We've been in this series called Odd is Good, talking about, hey, if we're really gonna live this life that God gives to us, it's gonna mean that we're not like everybody else. It's gonna mean that we're actually called out, that we're different, that, that there is this abnormality that comes to our lives as Christians. And Paul begins to, in chapter four of the book of Ephesians, say, hey, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And what he's saying there is you've got a big calling on your life. And because you have a big calling on your life, your life shouldn't look like everybody else. It shouldn't just conform to the patterns of the world. You should actually be transformed and your life should look like the odd life of God on earth, Jesus. And he says these words and we're going to read this passage today. I, I want to read an extended chunk of this. And hopefully in reading all of what we're going to dive into, you get a little bit more of the context. So I don't have to spend 20 minutes recapping where we've gone. Okay. So um, I know sometimes when they read the passage of scripture at the very beginning of a church service, you kind of zone out and that's the last little bit to continue to play on your phone until the real sermon starts. But friends, the real sermon is starting when I start reading this. Okay. So pay attention, lean in and be able to see what God's word is actually saying to us in here so that when we begin to pick apart and pull apart the few verses that we're going to lean into today in this, you know kind of the pool that they're swimming around in. All right. So Ephesians chapter four, if you're not there, say, hold up. Nobody said it. So we're going to read it. Ephesians four, starting verse one, the apostle Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy spirit and he's writing to people like me and you. And this is, this is what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train. He gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended into the lower regions, the earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended into the higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. These few verses here are what we're going to really lean into. So if you weren't paying attention yet, please start. Then we would no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves or blown here and there by every wind of teaching by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, 
we will in all things grow into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together, held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's the word of God. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you love us enough to talk to us, to give us guidance, to give us help, to give us security in times where we feel insecure. And Jesus, I know that on a day like today, there's a million other places that we could be. And some of us, even right now in our minds, we are in a different place. Our body may be here, our butt may be in one of these chairs, but, but our heart is on the thing that we've got to tend to. Our heart is on the bill that we got to pay. Our heart is on the phone call we've got to make. Our heart is on what our boss is expecting us um, th- this coming week. But Jesus, I pray that for right now, our head and our heart and our body can all be in the same place under the authority of your word, under the power of the gospel and under the love of a heavenly father who seeks to have all of his kids in the same place to hear from him today. And father, I pray you do just that. I pray you speak to your children. I pray you let us have an encounter that is not just one that we go out from and remain the same, but one where we can come in and be changed. Help us to not be here to check off religious boxes to feel better about ourselves. Help us to be here, Jesus, so that we can see you, so that we can meet you, so that your life can live through us. I praise you for all the things that have already happened. And I pray the, the prayer we just sung, Christ, be magnified. Through the preaching of your word today, let people see you for who you really are. Move me out of the way. If you don't speak, I will say nothing that's anywhere near significant if you don't speak through me. And I ask and beg and plead for you to do that today. Not for my sake, but for your glory. In your name, amen. So to recap a little bit, what Paul has been doing here in chapter four is he has been telling the church to grow up. And he's telling them that the way you will know you're growing up is not by you feeling more mature, not by you getting facial hair. You'll know you growing up when you begin to actually live in unity with each other. Now, Paul is talking to a group of people. The church in Ephesus was a just big group of people who all were coming into Christianity as adults. Nobody was a first, you know, nobody was a second generation Christian. Nobody was going to Sunday school. There was no nursery at the church in Ephesus. Everybody was being born into this thing as a new grown up believer. All right, and Paul kind of explains here, and I'm gonna try to summarize it in like five words. Five words would be this. He says, Trinity, family, infancy, unity, and maturity. And these are the things that kind of wrap up summary. So let let me kind of walk through this. First of all, Trinity. What God makes, or what Paul makes very clear to the church in Ephesus is that God is a father, God is a son, and God is a spirit now inside of you living and working. That this God is three in one, and this God wants you to be a part of his second word now, family. He doesn't want you to exist in isolation. He doesn't want you to exist in loneliness. He wants you to know that he sent his son so that you could be a part of his family, that you could be adopted and brought in. So the Trinity says, we want you to be family. But 
Same thing like with the family you were born into. When you become a part of this family, you don't become a part of this family as a grown-up. This is a spiritual family, not of flesh and blood. So this Trinitarian family that you're now a part of, you come into this family as a newborn, as a born again newborn, as an infant, spiritually immature, spiritually still trying to figure things out, spiritually still trying to recover from what sin has done to you. You come in as infancy, but the call is to maturity, is to grow up. God's church is not supposed to remain a giant nursery. It's supposed to grow into maturity. He says, the way you'll know that you're growing into maturity is that you have unity. Again, this is very counterintuitive. This is very counter what you would normally think would mean, oh, I grow up. In our individualistic culture, we think grow up means I have established myself. But in the gospel and in the church, your unity cannot, or your maturity cannot be disconnected from the collective whole. And Paul's explaining that to the church there. He said, this is what it means to be a part of this family. And you can say you want to just be out on your own and be isolated and go out and experience God in the woods. And you may be able to do that to some extent, but you will truly never experience growth. You will never experience the true maturity that is available in Christ if you extrapolate yourself from the church. And what he's talking about this church, he says that God has poured out gifts on different parts of the church. Every person who's a part of the church has been given by Jesus gifts, spiritual gifts, Holy Spirit gifts, to be able to see this body work in unity and expand out to reach other people. And it's to certain people, he gives gifts to be pastors, teachers, and shepherds. You remember we read about that. He said, he's given this gift. There'll be apostles, evangelists, prophets, pastors, shepherds, teachers. He's given people those gifts. Then he says this about those people who have been given those gifts. He says, their job, those pastor, shepherd, teacher type people, me, Their job is to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So let's just pause and make sure we're all on the same page here. What what Paul is saying through the inspiration of God is that God gives some people the gift of pastoring, shepherding, and teaching. And then he gives those people as a gift to a church to equip them to do the work of the ministry so that the church grows. I don't know if you caught that in there, but what Paul said, and I guess kind of God said as well, is that your pastor is a gift to you. Oh, (laughs) how about that? Now, that makes me cringe on the inside to say, because like, I don't feel like, I don't just leave out of here skipping on Sundays going like, I was a gift to them today. Like, that's not how I walk out of here. Most Sundays I'm going like, man, they would be better with like 17. I can think of 17 other guys who'd be better for them than me. Um, that's usually how I, how I feel. But you know, what's amazing is sometimes, and maybe it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you're trying to like grease me up to ask me to do something that's your crazy idea or, or, or I don't know, bribe me. Um, sometimes you will say that to me. Thank you. You're a gift to this church. And I will tell you without a doubt for every time that I've heard, maybe some of you say, Trent, you're a gift to this church. There are dozens of times when I have thought in my own head or said to my own wife, or maybe even said sometimes to you, you have no idea how much this church is a gift to me. You know how, you have no idea how much you 
as the church body, as this church family is a gift to me. And I don't mean to be getting mushy at the very beginning of a, of a message, but I, I can't not say that to you. It is a, two, a two-sided street. I, I have a lot of uh, friends in, uh, who are pastors in ministry and I hear the things that are going on in their church. And I think they would you know, be very blunt and honest and say, I don't really feel like my church is a gift to my family. I feel like I'm there suffering for the gospel to lead a hard-hearted people into a relationship with Jesus. And I don't have days where I feel like that about you. I think it's God's grace, it's God's favor, that you are a gift to me and my family. The way you love and care for us, the way you um, treat my boys like they're your grandkids or uh, your niece or they're your nephews, they're not girls. Um, So thank you uh, from the bottom of a pastor's heart. Uh, you make it uh, you make it in a time where a lot of pastors, I don't know if you keep up with this, but in a time where a lot of pastors are bailing and they're saying, this is too much, uh, I can't do this. Um, you make ministry exciting. Like I love being able to do this with you. So um, you're a gift to me. I'm not just a gift to you. And I don't know, you probably don't even think that. Um, but you really are. So thank you. Give yourself a round of applause for being that. Way to go. So Paul says all that, and he says that we've been given them this gift. Now look at what he says about this. He says this gift, he gives the church pastors, preachers, teachers, shepherds, and this is what their job is. Their job is to equip the people for the works of service. Some of your translations may say to equip the saints for works of ministry. Now, you may grow up in a church and you, you miss this verse, but what this means is our normal, like American, what a pastor is supposed to do thinking may be off just a tick. Because a lot of times what we think is it's the pastors, shepherds, teachers' jobs, whether that's a youth pastor, the children's pastor, the worship pastor, the lead pastor, the teaching pastor, it's all those guys. It's their job to do the work of ministry. But that's not what this says. It says it's our job to equip the people. The, the, right here, it says his people. That's two words in English. It's really one word in Greek. It's the word hagios. We talked about this last week. It's the word saints. It's the same word that we get the, the holy ones, the called out ones, the separate. The, the word, and this is kind of why we called this a series odd is good. The word literally means different. To say our job is to equip you to live a different life. This of God odd life. To equip you, to be able to give you the tools to untangle your life in such a way where you're actually able to reach your full potential. You're able to reach the, the true purpose that God has called you to in this life. And in doing so, the body of Christ may be built up. Now, let me explain what that word built up means. Sometimes, a lot of times in our like American church context, when we think the body of Christ built up, what do we immediately think of? Oh, that's more people. That's, um, to put it in church terms, that's nickels and noses. Nickels being like offering going up, noses being people showing up, nickels and noses. And you've probably been to church where that's the only thing that matters. And you walk into the church and you, you remember it, and some of you old school people, I don't know if MCC ever had one of this, maybe when it was over in the chapel, but there's a thing, a plaque on the back of the wall, right? And you can see, you can see the literal count of nickels and noses that day. And, that, and if those things are going up and to the right, like it's a, a, a stock trade, if those are going up and to the right, 
things are good. God's here. He's on the move. Everything's happening. Now, do we want the church to be built up that way? Yes, healthy things grow. Like if your kid was just shrinking, you would go, something's wrong or they're Benjamin Button. I don't know. Something's happening that's not right. Healthy things should grow. But that's not all of what Paul is talking about there. He's saying it should be built up and that built upness is being built into maturity. That's people who, because again, when you're born again as a Christian, you're not born again as a 37 year old. You're born again as an in, a spiritual infant. And so because we all start out our spiritual journey at spiritual infancy, there should be a building up, a maturing, a growing up in stature on the inside that should be happening. Think about it like this. Uh, when my second born son, Ezra was born, our family was built up in that we went from being a family of three to we became a family of four. But today is his fifth birthday. And so he didn't just become a part of our family and just stay there as an infant. He has been maturing and he is growing up and today is his fifth birthday. And so he is, you know, being built up. So that's, that's what he's saying here. Our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry so that the church can be built. And so what that means is, and we talked about this a little last week, I can't, Look at you guys and go, the stubborn stiff neck people, the church just isn't growing. Meanwhile, I'm just making my staff do all the work. We don't wanna give it to you to do because you would take too long to do it. We just wanna do it for you. We want you to come in and experience it. We don't wanna equip people for the work of the ministry. We just wanna hire people to do the work of the ministry. I can't expect the church to grow because that's not a biblical church. In the same way that you can't go in and go, well, we hired all these great pastors. You know, we hired the new guy with the, with, who can sing and, and now the other people are singing and we got a great children's ministry. And we, got all this. we hired all the right people. Why isn't something growing? Well, it's because the people, the called out ones, the saints are not doing the work of the ministry. And so we've got to look at each other as church leadership and the church as a body as a whole and go, we're a family and every family has leadership and every family has people working together and true biblical servant leadership actually says the people who are quote unquote the top and quote unquote the leaders, they actually get on the bottom and they wash the feet of everybody else. That's what true servant leadership looks like. It looks like showing people truly who God is and what God is up to. And that's how the church is built. So Paul, he says, this is how this happened. He calls the church to be built up. But the big point he makes here is that you cannot be growing in spiritual maturity and separate that out from church unity. Now, lean in here. Some of you would say, I'm in Christ. Some of you, if somebody asked you at work, hey, are you a Christian? You would say, yes, I am. But remember, when you become a Christian, you start out as a spiritual infant, no matter how old you are when you become one. Now, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit, God himself, and Jesus himself, indwell your life. The Trinity lives inside of you. That's a big deal. You want to grow up into maturity. But what I think is oftentimes a missing link, and I think some of this has to do with our very individualistic culture. American culture says, be you. Do you. Don't try to be nobody else. You're a snowflake. Like you're, there's only one of you ever created. Like you're just this perfect, you know, just be you. Do your best. Live your best. Live your best life. Do you. And because we're so individualistic, we think I can be who I'm really called to be by my little old self. I don't need your help to be my best. 
And Jesus comes in with the gospel and kicks that in the throat and says, that is stupid. That's American culture. That's not my gospel. The gospel comes in and says, you will never reach maturity. You can call that whatever you want to. You can call that your full potential, your, 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 your true mark of who you really could be. You're never gonna reach maturity in your life, in your own little vacuum of life, in your own little closet, in your own little home, in your own little world. Your true Christian maturity will only happen in connection to the church community and church family. That's where maturity happens. And this is why, track with me here. Some of you have been Christians for a while and you still have moments where you go, why am I still struggling with this? Some of you have been Christians for a while and you go, kind of like a kid, why am I still afraid of these illogical things? It makes no sense to be afraid of this. Why am I afraid of this? Some of you have been Christians for a while and you still go, why, why don't I feel the presence of Jesus on my life? Why am I still so self-centered? Why am I still struggling with this? Why, why, why am I this way? And I would say it is likely because you have reached the point to where you can't grow as a Christian anymore by yourself. The next level of maturity that God wants to take you into can only happen in connection to the church body. And this isn't, this isn't me like, if there was another way for this to happen in your life, I promise I would preach it to you. But this is the Bible. And it says, you only mature as you're unified. And <laughs> unless you have multiple personality disorder, you can't unify by yourself. Some of you just, not got, <laughs> there we go. You get what I'm saying by that? Like, and here's why Paul is saying this. Here's why God wanted him to say this. You can go have your own quiet time, right? Read and pray and do all those things in your prayer closet. You can journal. You can have seven different highlighters that you highlight different aspects of the Bible with, which again, those are all good things. But do you know what doesn't pop up in those moments? Someone who disagrees with you. A homeless man never knocks on the window of your car and goes, hey, I have real needs. I need some food. I need help. No one comes in to your quiet time and tells you how to do it. And, and this is why I think we have maybe overblown the private spiritual disciplines, prayer, reading my Bible and fasting, overblown them so much that we forget about communion with the saints, that we forget about breaking bread with people, that we forget about serving the poor, that we forget about having community, confessing our sins one to another, that we forget about speaking the truth in love, that we forget about serving each other, that we forget about doing those things. Here's why. All of these private little Practices, do you know what they are? Controllable, safe. I don't bump into you and your differences than me. And that's why if we're not careful, we can, be, we can become people who only do these things that are our private spiritual practices. And again, 
They are essential. You cannot grow. At, it is not an either or. It is a both and. You have to have quiet, spiritual, private practices to grow in spiritual maturity. And you have to have public, active, engaging, rolling your sleeves up and, get, and meeting with other people, talking with other people, things that actually grow your faith. And what happens is when you just do this one side, what you become is the teenager in the kiddie pool with the little mustache coming in and floaties on your arms and, and everything else here. And you have a lot, like you're big, but you're not in the right place. Does that make sense? And what Paul is calling the church in Ephesus to do is to go, listen guys, we all come from different backgrounds. Some of you used to worship different idols. Some of you used to you know, be in all this different kind of witchcraft stuff. Everybody came from all these different places. But we will know we're growing to, you're actually growing into the image and likeness of Christ when we actually get along. And that's a really hard message for an America that is more divided than ever. But I believe it can happen. I believe it is possible. And I think looking around in a room like this and seeing all sorts of different pigmentation, all sorts of different ages, all sorts of different people is proof that, man, there, there actually can be something powerful that happens when people who look different, think different, act different, actually gather together under one gospel. And that can actually be something that changes changes the world. And it makes sense that this would be how it works, right? Think about who God is and not just God, the father, because as Christians, we're not Unitarians. We don't just believe there's just God. There's just a one God. We're not um, um, Muslims who just say there is just Allah. We believe in a Trinitarian God, father, son, Holy Spirit. And remember, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, being a Christian means that not just God the Father comes and lives in your life, not just that Jesus Christ comes and lives in your life, the Son, and not just the Spirit of God comes and lives inside your life. It means that all three of them come and live inside of your life when you become a Christian. So that the Trinity is inside of you that the God that we serve and the God that we believe in is a three-in-one God. The God that we serve and we believe in is actually a community, is actually a family. So how much does it just make obvious sense that if there is a family inside of us, the way that I will experience the fullness of this family is if I have the church family around me so that it reflects on the outside what God is on the inside as a community. And sometimes we just think, I can just go experience Jesus in the deer stand and be good. I love you. Maybe you can to an extent, but not into maturity. You're an infant in the deer stand. Well, I can just, you know, I just paint my nails and I sing songs in the car to Jesus. Great. You're a baby Christian doing those things. You can only grow into spiritual maturity in the community, in the family. So what this means is you can't just drop in on church. Now, again, like I really do mean this. If there was a way to be a Christian that didn't mean you have to actually be connected, be involved, be a part of a local church, I, I'm, I'm not lying here, I would tell you. Because it would make, wouldn't it make it easier on you I, look, I, I've, been a, I've been a pastor for, for over 10 years at this point. And one of the things I know is true is it makes sense why people don't come to church. Listen, if all coming to church is about, is about you doing things differently so you feel better about yourself, then why come to the place, right? 
where you're made to feel bad about yourself. Okay, like we've been, we've all been there. So it makes sense, like, why would I, like, you know what, I'm just a sucker for punishment. Let me just go hear about how bad of a dirtbag I am today. Like, nobody, nobody's signing up to do that. Because then you leave and you feel guilt and you feel shame. If, if the church preaches the true gospel, you'll feel that. Because you'll come in and you'll, you'll see Jesus for who he is, and you'll see how far you are away from that. And sometimes we'll just leave feeling worse about ourselves. Or if you're really religious, you'll leave that church where you kind of felt bad about yourself and you'll go find one that makes you feel really good about yourself. And that just says, you just believe what you want to believe. You just think what you want to fit. And all the message are all kind of you centered. And at the end, you're always the hero. You're always the champion. If you just give enough money, that's uh, usually how it goes. <laughs> and, 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 and you're more than a conqueror. You're going to live your best life now. And, and those are all the things that get perpetuated. But what I believe Paul is after here and what I believe the gospel is more leaning into is going, no, it's not about you. It's about us. And so I don't, I don't come to church so that I can feel better about myself. I don't come to church and, and be a part of this so that I can see if I'm growing or not. And I don't come to do this thing as a practice of me trying to muster up some better version of myself. That's not what this is about. This is about me being part of a family and this forming us as a family into Jesus. There's a quote by um, a guy who's dead, Oswald Chambers, I love him. Uh, he, he wrote a devotional, I'm not a big devotional person. There's only one that I would ever recommend and it's his, it's called My Utmost for His Highest. And in there, he said these words. He's talking about, this is, this is a quote from a sermon he preached. He says, we are not here to develop a spiritual life of our own or to enjoy a quiet spiritual retreat. We are here to have the full realization of Jesus Christ for the purpose of building up his body. So what that, again, let me put that in maybe modern language so you get to understand it. Saying your purpose isn't to come in and have this peaceful moment with Jesus. Your purpose is to experience the fullness of Jesus through his body, which is to say you will never experience the fullness of Jesus if you are disconnected dare I say, even marginally connected to his body, the local church. And I could, I could probably pick out at least seven families right now who are part of MCC who would swear to you by that. And they could walk back to the place where you're at right now, where you're like, I just kind of come every few Sundays or so. But they're the families that held the door for you. They're the families that make sure this place is secure. They're the families who give financially. They're the families who have years worth of friendships. They're the families who have gone to dozens of funerals in this room. They're the families who have gone to dozens of weddings. And they would say, my life is more full because I was connected to this family that is McDonough Christian Church. And I would shudder to think about what my life would have been like had my family not been connected to this family. There are dozens of people who call the church home who would say that. And my hope and my prayer is that many of you new families who have started coming here within the few last few years, that that would be your story as well. Because that's what this whole thing is really about. It's not just about you, but we can't do it without you. So Paul leans into this. He says, we, we've got to grow up. And then he shows them 
how maturity happens. He said, instead of being babies, tossed around by the waves and, and driven by deceitful teaching, he says, instead, here's what we have to do. We have to speak the truth in love. We have to speak the truth in love. And when we do that, he says, we will actually grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. And so he's, it's kind of, it's kind of, you wouldn't think that Paul said, okay, we're all going to grow up and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to talk right to each other. But that look, that's what he says. So maybe he's onto something. Let's just pause right here and lean into this a little bit. Let me ask you a question. Think about, or let's do an exercise. Think about the most encouraging thing somebody ever said to you. Like the most positive, encouraging, spur you on towards greatness thing somebody ever said to you. Your whole entire life. You got that in your head? All right. Hold on to that. Now I want you to think about the most gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, painful thing somebody ever said to you. Soul crushing. It might not have been at the moment, but as things happened after the fact, those words became daggers that may still even be lodged in your heart. Now of those two words, the ones that were the most encouraging you ever heard or the most heartbreaking you ever heard, which was easier to go find? Which could you find faster? Raise your hand if you could find the heartbreaking ones faster. Okay, that's most of the room. See, Jesus is onto something here. He knows just like your family. Now remember your family. Family is what forms you. You are the way you are because of what? Your family, that whether good they were or whether bad they were, you are the way you are because of them. You can blame them and you're, you're right to. That, that's, that's right. And that's how God hardwired earth to be in existence so that the family would form us into that. And that's why he calls his church. He doesn't call his church, this is my corporation. He says, this is my body. This is my family. That's why God chose to identify himself as a what? A father. He did that on purpose because he knows what you've experienced. That some of you grew up in a home that was all truth. And you walk downstairs and it wasn't, oh, so great to see you this morning. How are you doing? It was, you're just now getting out of bed, huh? You know, you're gonna sleep the day away. Your brother's already at work. You're not doing anything. You, you know, you come, down, you come downstairs for prom night and all your mom had to say about you was all the, all the ways that you could look better than you look right now. You grew up in an all truth home. And most of you who grew up in all truth homes, you just rebelled because the truth had no love with it. So you never wanted to chew on it. You never wanted to believe it because it was just all truth. And even though it was truth, you hated the way it was delivered. So you weren't gonna believe it. Even if deep down inside, you really knew it was true. And some of you grew up in an all love home. And in the all love home, if this is a big old carpet in the middle of the floor, an all love home has a big lump in the rug where everything has just got swept underneath. because nobody wanted to tell the truth that mom's an alcoholic. We just all kind of tiptoed around it. Nobody wanted to tell the truth that dad is a narcissist and he's a control freak. We just all kind of tiptoed and danced around it because it was an all love family. And the most important thing was just making sure everybody was happy because to make someone happy is to love them. And you grew up in these places. And what God is saying here is no, 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 no. My church 
has got to be a place that is built on truth and love. And he says that, and then <laughs> he starts churches like ours where, let's just see who we're talking to. If you're like, you're a knee-jerk reaction person is like, I am a, a love, per- I, I love. Like I would rather speak in love first and I'm, you know, I'm the type of person, usually, you know, you're this type of person if, um, you think, well, I'm just gonna tell them this now. And then when the timing is right, I'll tell them the, you know, the hard part. And then you never get around to it. <laughs> or you never see them again. That's the, that's the, I speak love first person. You have a harder time telling somebody the hard truth because you don't want them to reject you. All right, raise your hand if you know you're the love first person. It's okay, it's, it's all right. All right, good, good, good. All right, now the truth people. You're the person you have no problem telling people the truth. Your knee-jerk reaction is just, uh, you got something in your teeth, you know? <laughs> and you say it in front of everybody, you know? That's your knee-jerk reaction. If you would say, I'm a truth, I, I, truth, I have a hard time putting love in my truth, that, that's you, all right? That's good. Hopefully you married a couple in the rooms, you agree, and they're not. See, what God does is he, he puts a church, and I, I don't know if you saw it from up here, but it was about 50-50. And he puts us all in the same room together, <laughs> in the same church together, in the same family together that, that is this, this church that is McDonough Christian. And he says, have at it. Talk nice to each other. And, he, and here's why he does that. Because he knows we can't do that without him. He does that to take us right back to Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect embodiment of truth and love so that we as, as his church would say, okay, we're gonna grow together, we're gonna meet together, we're gonna talk together, we're gonna do life together, we're gonna share together, we're gonna do all these things and, and raise our kids in the same environments and, and do these things. We're gonna do this church. We're not just gonna come and sit in rows. We're gonna actually gather together and do things. We're gonna serve the community together. We're gonna do this together. And then we all have crazy different opinions and we communicate those different opinions in way different ways in truth or love. And he does all that to say, I want you to look to my son who is the perfect embodiment of truth and love. We'll start with the truth side of Jesus. There is no truth that is anywhere near as offensive of saying to someone the same way Jesus said to you, you are so wicked, deceitful, evil and rotten to the core that God himself would have to die for you in order for you to be saved. There is nothing somebody can say about your weight, your nose length, the lack of hair you have. There is nothing so offensive about your skin color, about your wealth, about your job. There's nothing as offensive as you are so wretched and evil that it would only be through God's son dying that your life could be saved. There's no truth more offensive than that. And that's why many people would have nothing to do with Christianity because they would dare not believe that they are that bad because of how much I give to charity or how nice I am to cats, or whatever. That's why many people don't believe in this. And that's the hard truth that you have to believe in order to become a Christian. If you can't get that truth, you cannot be a Christian. And Jesus knows that you won't get that truth if it's the only thing on the spoon, which is why he backs it up with the sugar of his love by saying, you are so wicked that it would take God dying for you. And I did. because I see what you can become because I see how much my father loves you and I know how much I love you 
I'm willing to be treated like you deserve to be treated so that you can be treated the way only I would ever deserve to be treated because of how perfect I am, how holy I am, how righteous I am. I'm dying and trading my place in this family so that you can have a part. I love you that much. And he tells us to speak truth and love and then he shows us what it looks like so that when we have moments where we wanna say unloving things to each other, or we have moments where we don't wanna say the most truthful thing to each other, we go back and we see Jesus. We see who he was. And I don't know if Paul did this on purpose, but in the next verse, he's going to show us, I believe the true display of how this happened. Before we did that, I want you to learn one more thing about truth and love. It's a principle, maybe write this down, tattoo it on your heart or something. He says, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love and love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. And this is Jesus on display. He showed this to us. And Paul, in the next verse, like I said, verse 16, last one for the day, he says, talking about Jesus, from him, this is, why, this is why he says, when he tells us to speak truth and love, <laughs> he doesn't go into a 10 point list of how we should do that right. He says, speak the truth and love. And where does he immediately go? Jesus, okay? <laughs> like it's our only hope. And here's how I think he puts his hope on display. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part as each part does its work. Now close your eyes and just for a second and envision what that looks like. It's a beautiful verse, right? Okay, we got the whole body. We're joined and held together by every supporting ligament and we're growing and building ourselves up in love. Doesn't, I mean, it sounds like 1969 Woodstock here, but this is Ephesians 4.16. Like this is beautiful as each part does its work. This is this beautiful, this beautiful imagery of what the body of Christ will look like and what is destined to really become. Not in heaven when we get up there and we're all singing kumbaya, floating on clouds and doing all that type of stuff, but what can actually happen right now. Now, he gives us this image. And I could, like, and this is a very positive image. When you close your eyes and envision what this would be like. But look closely at this verse. Hidden within this verse are some words that should draw our attention, not to this perfectly put together body and family of Christ. But I couldn't help reading this verse without getting another image in my mind. The image that made this possible and hidden within it are words that remind me of it. Body, held, ligaments, love, body, that was held to a cross with all of its supporting ligaments, breaking in agony, suffocating on his own blood, seemingly abandoned by his own father's love. See, I can't read Ephesians 4.16 about this church being beautifully put back together without also going to the passion of the Christ and seeing him brutally torn apart. And even there in the verse, it's as if Paul has these two images in his mind as he's writing this chained up in the Roman jail cell in, Ephesus, or in Rome. 
And these are the two images that, that have to be at the forefront. These, this is the two sides of the lens through which every Christian should see his brother and sister in Christ. Through one's lens, we should see Jesus' body torn, broken, ligaments shredded, back with whips all through it, crown of thorns on his head, torn and broken apart as his physical body so that the other lens could be visible as well. That we'll be able to look forward and see people with black skin, white skin, brown skin, yellow skin, every color in between, rich, poor, old, young, all sorts of different backgrounds, to see them brought together and unified, knowing that it was through his whipped, beaten, torn apart body that this can even be possible, guys. And this is the gospel lens through which we have to see each other. And when we, when we look at each other that way, what happen, when, you, when you look at your wife that way, when you look at your kids that way, when you look at the people you disagree with, even at work that way, knowing that they would even be future potential members of this body of Christ, when you begin to look at them that way, you now know there is nothing that could keep us from being, a, being together because he was torn apart. And because he was torn apart and then put back together through the resurrection, he's building a body. He's building a family. He was treated like he was not part of God's family so that we could actually be a family. And this, this is what Paul is doing to turn our attention, to turn our focus back to this place where we go, okay, it actually is possible. It actually can happen. And God actually wants to work through me to make it happen. And it would happen less if I chose to just come and sit and consume and not be a part of this. And so I want to take you to two last questions. First question is this, am I a part of the body of Christ? Don't make this question more complicated than it needs to be. I really want you to answer this in your heart though. And there's only one or two, it's not a maybe. There's no maybes here. There's no fence in Christianity. There's only a cross. And you either wash and redeem by the blood that was shed on that cross, you put your faith in what happened on that cross, your faith in what happened through the resurrection, or you have not. Are you a part of the body of Christ? I remember the verse said very clearly in verse, four, uh, verse 16, says, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Which leads me to the question I have to ask. Am I doing my part? Are you doing your part? So, so we can come and you can come and you can say, I'm a part of the body of Christ. Are you, look, <laughs> We got to get past this place, this thing. And, and again, American, I would say we're, we're definitely fully into being a post-Christian nation. But it's still really easy, especially down here in the Bible Belt, to just go like, I'm a Christian. To which maybe I would ask a secondary question. Are you a part of the body of Christ, though? And again, I think there's got to be this follow-up question there that goes, okay, if you're a part of the body of Christ, are you doing your part? Now, some of you right now, you're wrestling in your head and I can, I can I feel it because I've been here as well. You're going, well, I don't even know what my part is. 
to which I would go, well, is there a sense of urgency to answer that question? Is there a sense of urgency to do your part? And if there's not a sense of urgency to do your part, then you have not fully understood how your savior was torn apart. You don't get it yet. If you see Jesus go through what he went through, you don't go, I'll just come and sit and watch. You go, no, 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 I'll sell, I'll sell my house, I'll sell the car, I'll do whatever. I'll sign up for whatever I need to sign up. I will do this because I see what happened to him. I'll do whatever it takes to build this. I'll do whatever it takes to unify this. I'll do whatever it takes to do my part. I want to know what my part is. And, and this is where I would go like, man, I, I hate to have to go here with you, but I do, uh, it's the gospel. If you answer no to this question, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation here, but I would cause you to be very concerned with your answering yes to this question. I, I, would, just, I would just, again, speaking the truth and love to you the best that I can here, if you say, no, I'm not doing my part and you're just ho-hum about it, you're cool with that. I would ask you this again and maybe throw on the end and are you sure? And, I, and I, look, I wish that there was a way that I could sit down with every single one of you with a cup of coffee or whatever your favorite drink is and ask you these two questions. But I don't have to because you have a Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. What God says is, is his guiding spirit. You have that Holy Spirit inside of your life right now at this very moment. And he will guide you into answering those two questions. Now, me any pastor who's on our staff, any elder of our church, and many high-level volunteers, people who are teaching in classes right now, we would love, absolutely love, to if you say yes to this question and you say, I don't know to this question or no to this question, we would love to do everything within our power to help you. Now, some of you, you don't even need that help. You have a, a next step card in the chair pocket in front of you. And what you need to do today is to take that out and go, hey, I want somebody to help me figure out how to do my part. Your next step today of going, I am actually going to mature a little bit today. I'm gonna grow up a little bit today. I'm gonna quit being a baby today. I'm gonna grow in my faith. I'm gonna say, I've got to actually ask the question, what is my part and how can I go and do that? Now, some of you know what that is. You just haven't been doing it. And you can put on the card, hey, I, I, I'm interested in serving. I'm interested in getting a community group. To be a part of this family, to be a part of this body, it means you're a contributor. You contribute your story. You contribute your name. You contribute your gifts. God didn't give you the gifts that he gave you so that you can put them in a, a shelf for your own good and your own use. He gave them to us so that the light would shine in the darkness and we need your bulb. We need your bulb for his glory so that the world can see, so that we can light Jesus up enough so that the world can see him for who he really is. God's doing some amazing things at MCC and I go back to a moment in time. It was Mother's Day. I was still kind of being interviewed at MCC. And I didn't want the search team or anybody to know that I was coming. And so I just kind of snuck in on Mother's Day. And Andy Daugherty, our community group's uh, pastor, he, he was teaching. And um, the worship team was singing a song. And the lines of the song 
said the fatherless find their rest at the sound of your great name. And some of you know my story, so that line definitely connected with me. But it was this whole song about your great name, God, your great name, your great name, your great name. And at the time I was interviewing with probably a dozen other churches, ones that in the grand scheme of things, I would say maybe had a greater name than McDonough Christian Church. They were a little bit bigger, a little bit flashier, a little, little more nickels and noses. Um, and, and, and honestly, I came into MCC and I was like, I don't, I don't know, man. I just, I'm not feeling it. And then I sang that song. And it's weird, I I use these words very sparingly, but I did feel like the Holy Spirit said in that moment to me, not in a way where I hear it audibly, but just this this deep sense of God saying, Trent, you could probably go a few other places and make your name great. But son, I want you to find some rest here. And son, if you'll come here and just simply do everything within your power, to rally a group of people who will make my name great, it'll be what you're really looking for. And about a month passed, I told nobody that story at all, not even my wife. Because look, let me just be honest with you, I didn't want that to be true. I wanted to let all the cards stay on the table and pretend like God hadn't clearly already said, go there, son. And me and Jessica were kind of down to the wire and we're sitting at her uh, parents' house because that's where we lived, because uh, that's cool. I had to move back in with your in-laws. Um, and, uh, and I just kind of like off the cuff started sharing that story with her. I was like, I, I, we were singing that song and I just felt like, I just felt like God was saying, hey, I, you could go a lot of other places, Trent, make your name great. And then I just, I just lost it. I just started tearing up, started crying there in the, in, in the living room. Because what happened is I I got what God had done inside of me out to another member of the body of Christ. And when I I spoke what he had spoken to me out of my mouth, it became evident that that was truly what we needed to do. And we're sitting in the the living room that night. And as soon as I say what I felt like God had said to me, it's like ripping a bandaid on my soul off in in the best way possible. And, And it was obvious and clear what we needed to do. I think the next day I called whoever I need to call and, and, and the rest is, so to speak, is history. And, and I tell you that story for this reason. You have a last name, the same way I had a last name. It's Johnson's and Smith's, Schuster's, Williams, all sorts of different last names in this room. But this church is not about your last name. This church is about one great name. And we, we will do everything within our power. And, and, and again, I, you, you will experience the best thing your last name could have ever experienced if you say, this is my people, this is who I am, this is where I'm at. I'm gonna gather together with these people not to make a pastor's name great, not to make a church's name great, but to make God's name great. The same Jesus who said, if the son of man be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. He's the one that we gather around and we lift up his name. I don't, I'm, I'm not worried about our evangelistic efforts. I'm not worried about going out and reaching out to the community and doing all those other things. The only thing I'm worried about is lifting up the son of God. He said, I will draw them. Don't wear yourself out trying to, you know, do Facebook ads and marketing and all these other types of things. Like preach the gospel, lift me up. I'll draw them in. That's our strategy. When people come to me and go, why is things working? Jesus, we're lifting them up. That's it. I don't know. 
And friend, I can tell you, and this, this is the reason why I can say, church, you've been a gift to me. Is because the fulfillment, the deep satisfaction that I have leading a place like this, serving a place like this, is something I, there, there's, I could be verified on Twitter. I could have a following, I could be preaching to stadiums. The deep satisfaction of knowing that you're right in the middle of God's will for your life fails in comparison. And I want that for you. And Jesus' body was broken so that you could experience that. And that's why we take communion is so that it's this every week reminder that this body was broken so that this body and online people can be whole. That's why he was broken. Not just so that you can be whole. I just, I just wanna feel complete again. Yeah, that's great. And you will, but you will never experience your full completeness, your full being put back together, Humpty Dumpty, unless you gather together with all the king's men and women so that we can do this together. And communion shows us he did it for you, but he did it for his body. He did it for his family so that we could be together to lift him up and to put ourselves down. Let's pray and I invite you to take communion. Jesus, thank you for your word. Move in our hearts, minds, and lives today so that we can just be changed. We don't wanna be the same. We don't wanna do church the same old way that we've done church, same old years or however long we've been here, Jesus. We wanna lift you up so that there's an undeniable move of God that happens, not just in these walls, not just in even these lives, but in this city, in this region, Jesus. We're a, incompetent group of people to be able to do this without your help. So we ask you to do it. We beg you to do it. We surrender to how you want to do it, however unconventional it may be. After all, you are the God of the cross. No other God like you. As we taste and see that you are good today, as we take of the cup that represents your poured out blood, as we drink Remind us that now in our DNA runs the DNA of a king, the DNA of a priest, the DNA of the ultimate rabbi teacher, the DNA of divinity. And it on the inside is far more powerful than any dividing line on the outside, whether it's skin color, whether it's age, whether it's opinions. There's nothing more powerful than your blood. And as we eat of the wafer, it reminds us of uh, your body. Maybe even let us look at it today and see it as a circle, as a never-ending family with no beginning and no end, eternal. And let us rest in this moment knowing that if we are in you, we are part of an eternal family, one that will never fade away. And so let us care much less about the things that we would do to build our temporal families, our temporal lives, our temporal existence. And we will let all that fall under your Lordship today as we taste and see that you, in fact, are good and are true and are love. In your name.